Well, as you know by now, this uh, is our annual week of prayer. Why do we do a week of prayer? Because if you were to list all the things the church is called to do, and there are many things the church is called to do, and, and uh, they're all important and they're, they're all good, but if you were to prioritize the things that a church should be doing, certainly prayer is near the top of the list. So many years ago, we started this week of prayer as a way of just keeping prayer before us as a priority, and the, the hope here is that with a, an intentional focus on prayer this week, it can carry us the other 51 weeks as we continue uh, to, to pray. I mean, we, we, we aspire to be a praying church filled with praying people to the glory of God. And that's where we're at, and so I hope that you appreciate uh, your leader's desire to guide us in prayer and to focus on prayer. And if I could ask you this question, how good is your prayer life? How good is your prayer life? Now, that's kind of one of these gotcha questions, isn't it? Because no matter who you are, no matter how vibrant your prayer life is, as a, as a Christian, there's always a sense that, well, I, I should pray more than I do. And I should be more zealous in, in my prayers. In fact, I remember uh, many, many years ago, I was part of a church, and they, they had a kind of a survey that they put out there, and you had to rate yourself on a scale, one to 10. And one of the questions was, how good is your prayer life, one to 10? Well, compared to who? Like, and by what criteria? You know, who's a 10 and who's a one, and how do I fit in the middle? It's a gotcha question. But I think it's an important question because there should be a desire in all of us to grow in our prayer lives. I mean, to be a Christian, one of the fruits of that is holy desires, and certainly it's a holy desire to want to grow in our, in our prayer life. And by the way, that's the goal of this message. I'm not here to lay a guilt trip on anybody, uh, although I'm good at that. Uh, I, I'm not looking to, to lay a guilt trip on anybody, but to hopefully inspire us from God's Word and maybe equip us a little bit to, to grow in our, in our prayer lives. I mean, wouldn't it be great if next year at the, at the annual week of prayer, let's say that today you say, you know, I'm kind of a two or I'm a three. Well, what if next, next year you're a four or a five? I mean, wouldn't that be pleasing to God to, to grow? I mean, you may not become, you know, the greatest prayer of all time, nor will I. But if I can be as, as vibrant in my prayer life and to live a life of prayer, certainly this must be the will of God. Which, by the way, a little advertisement for next week. We're back to Romans 12, verse 2 next week. And we're answering the question, how can I know God's will for my life? I mean, who here hasn't wondered that question? How can I know what God's will is for my life? And it's going to be good next week. I hope you'll come back for that. Today, what we're doing is we're skipping ahead a little bit in Romans 12 to verse 12. Okay, Romans 12, verse 12. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. And what you're going to notice here is, in, in fact, if you look right now, you can see that uh, the first part of chapter 12 is just a series of little short exhortations about living the Christian life, what it means uh, to be a Christian. And we, we've seen previously that Romans 1 through 11 is this deep dive in the gospel, how God makes un sinners righteous. And then you get to chapter 12, and you have probably the most famous therefore in all of the Bible. Therefore, uh, uh, on the basis of the mercies of God, 
I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And so we have this transition from the more doctrinal to the more like practical and applicable. What does this mean in my life? The mercy of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God, what should that look like? And you see in chapter 12, there's a series of like a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. And then you get to verse 9. I'll start in verse 9. Our focus is verse 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And here's our focus. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We're going to focus on be constant in prayer, but I want you to see within verse 12, there's a symbiotic relationship between these three clauses. They, they're like three legs of the, of the same stool uh, where they, they feed off one another. What, when, I, when I need patience and tribulation, what do I need? Perhaps being constant in prayer. And when I'm constant in prayer, lo and behold, I find a resource to rejoice in hope. In, the, in my life. And so these three, they're all friends. Uh, you, you pull one of them out, you take one of those out of your Christian life, and you're very quickly sitting on your rear end, spiritually. And maybe that summarizes how you came today. Spiritually, you're sitting on your rear end. You're like, man, how do I get back on the stool? Well, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. These are three friends. Now, my outline today is simple. Prayer, be constant in. Now that sounds like the Yoda translation of the Bible, doesn't it? But you're going to understand why I'm doing it this way. But I'm just going to walk through the four words, and those four words are the four points in this message. And we begin rightly, I think, with the word prayer. Okay, be constant in prayer. What is prayer, after all? I mean, if I was to say to you, hey, give me a definition of prayer, some new Christian, if you've been a Christian for any time, say, hey, what's prayer? How, how would you answer that? I'm going to give you my best definition. It's simple, and I can't improve on it. What is prayer? It is talking with my heavenly Father. It's talking with my heavenly Father. Now, as we saw in Romans 8, by virtue of the grace of God and the mercy of God, we are welcomed into the family of God. In this wonderful miracle of adoption where we go from being rebels and enemies of Almighty God, in his love, he lavishes it upon us, 1 John 3, 1, that we would be called children of God. We are welcomed into the family of God. We are now sons and actual, listen, it's, it's not an illustration. We are actually sons and daughters of the Most High God. What an incredible privilege it is, adopted into the family of God. And so what do you have in families? You have communication. You have communication. We talk with one another, at least we should. And so within the family of God, God speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. There is communication that happens. Prayer is that family talk. Now we talk to God and he is Almighty God, so therefore our prayers should always be reverent. It's never good to hear somebody praying, you know, sort of like a flippant, hey, dude, you know, or something like, wait a second, you're talking to God here. Our prayers should always have a sense of reverence to them. 
but they should never be less than personal because he is our heavenly father. Personal prayers, family chat. And you think about uh, in a family, talk happens on a spectrum in every home. Talk happens on a spectrum. You have, you know, maybe in the morning you have that sort of like, hey, I'm talking through the day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Everybody's sort of talking about the day. And sometimes you have uh, the sharing of feelings in a family where I, I feel this or that hurt me or whatever it might be. We, we share our feelings within a family. Sometimes it's urgent conversation. Sometimes even emergencies happen. But we're talking. I know, I know with my parents... Uh, when, I, when I call them, and maybe it's been a, a little bit of time that since I've called them, like, you know, 24 hours or so, uh, my, my mom will often say, oh, it's so good to hear your voice, which is both affirming and a reminder that I haven't called her for, very, you know, very uh, often lately. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's one of those things. Uh, but it's so good to hear your voice. I wonder for how many of us here, if we were to actually pray, God in heaven almost would be that way. Wow, it's so good to hear your voice. It's been a long time. To realize our heavenly Father, he delights to hear our prayers. Get that. God delights in the prayers of his people. He loves to hear our voice. So therefore, when we're praying, one of the things that we have to beware of is turning prayer into some kind of a formalism or a ritual where we just sort of mouth the words, and it's not connecting actually with our heart and with our mind. And it's so easy to do that with prayers, especially over the years, because you, you know, oftentimes it sounds like you're praying the same thing over and over again. I know when I was a kid, I was taught to pray at bedside. I would pray this prayer over and over again. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. There's a comforting uh, prayer for a child to pray. Uh, <laughs> bless mommy, daddy, Stevie, Barbie, Scotty, Terry. Amen. I prayed that over and over and over again. Now, was I actually praying? I don't know if God gives grace because you're a kid. Maybe. But oftentimes, I'm just saying the words, right? I'm just kind of saying the words. And Jesus warned against that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't, don't be like the Pharisees who think God hears them because of the abundance of their words. No. Prayer is words, but it connects with our hearts and with our, with our minds. So strive to make your prayers really, really personal. You know, he knows all those things anyway. Sometimes in prayer we, we can be kind of like, well, should I pray? No, I'm not going to pray about that. Like, like we're hiding it from God somehow. He knows anyway. There's no point in hiding anything from Almighty God. He knows us, you know, right down to, our, to the, the most personal part of who we are. He knows all of that. Prayer is not informing God of anything, but it is sharing with God. It is talking with God. Much better a short personal prayer than a long, formal, disaffected prayer. You know, think about prayer this way. When you, when you read in the Bible, when God made Adam and Eve, uh, you get to Genesis 3, this is uh, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God walks in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? And the, the, the hint there is that prior to the fall, Adam and Eve and God, there in the garden, 
Like, they, they, it was almost like they took walks in the garden together and they would just chat with one another and share with one another and have this open communication with one another. We go to Revelation, and at the end of the story, God, you know, the city of God comes down, and now God will be with his people. I will be the God, they will be, they will be my people. And the idea there is, is that, once again, communication between us and God is going to be like face-to-face. So what is prayer? Prayer is our communication between the fall in the garden and what's coming someday. It is our opportunity to talk with God. Think of that, to talk with God. I remember years ago, I think it was in college, I had met somebody famous, I don't remember who it was. Somebody super, like, really cool type person, probably like the senior pastor of the church. (laughs) And I was saying to my friend, I said, I, I was bragging to him who I had met and that I had talked to him. And he looked at me, he said, oh, that's funny, because this morning I talked to God. Now, he said it a little self-righteously, honestly, but it was a good point that he made. I mean, how excited we would be to talk to our, you know, XYZ hero. But as Christians, we are actually talking with the creator of the universe when we pray. It's an awesome thought. We can talk with God anytime. He welcomes it. Hello, son. Hello, daughter. It's so good to hear your voice. That's prayer, okay? Be constant in prayer. Let's talk about be. Really, Pastor Steve, you're going to make a point out of a two-letter word? Yes, I am. Be constant in prayer. Class, can you tell me today what tense is be? Okay, we know who was listening in English class growing up and who wasn't. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? Well, Some of you got it right. Be is present tense, okay? Present tense. What does that insinuate? It insinuates that for a Christian, prayer is not something that I can look at in the past tense and be like, you know, like sixth grade. Oh, I I, I was there, I've been there, done that, don't have to do that anymore. No, for the Christian, prayer is to be a present tense reality in our life. I think there are, there are many Christians who are, was constant in prayer Christians. And if you talk with them about their prayer life, oh yeah, I prayed. When my son was sick, boy, we prayed. And when I lost my job, we prayed. And when this or that happened to us, we prayed. But their prayer life is all like past tense. I prayed. No, it's present tense. There are also Christians, I think, who are future tense pray people. These are people that, oh, I believe in prayer, I love prayer, and I'm so glad that I can know that if I ever have a problem in my life in the future, I can pray to God. And for them, prayer is like the bat phone. It's great to know it's there if you need it, because I can lift it up and now I can get some help. But it's not a present tense thing, it's a future tense thing, just in case I need it someday. So there are past tense prayers and there are future tense prayers, but the word here is a present tense. Be constant in prayer. And we look no further than the example of Jesus Christ himself in his prayer life. Was he a past tense prayer? It's easy for me to say. 
Was he just a future tense prayer? No. We see in Jesus every day was a present tense day to pray. I mean, here you have the Son of God. If there was anybody who maybe didn't need to pray on a day, it would be the Son of God. And yet, what do we find with Jesus? He prayed before his wilderness temptation. He prayed before naming his disciples. He prayed before healing people. He prayed in the upper room. He prayed at Gethsemane before his cross. And many, many other times, Jesus would, would, would pray. He, he didn't view prayer as something he did and now he doesn't have to do anymore. And he didn't view prayer as something he would do if he ever needed it. It was a present tense Prayer, is that not what he taught us to pray? Think of the model prayer of Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say weekly bread, like I'm gonna pray, okay, I'm, I'm good for the week now because I offered one prayer. He doesn't say monthly prayer. He doesn't say pray over the groceries when they come in and you're good. No, he says pray daily. To pray for daily bread, you have to pray daily. Present tense. Be constant in prayer. Which leads to this word constant, which is the, the most interesting word here in this little clause. Uh, constant. Other translations go with faithful, devoted, persevering. The Greek word here, it's a very interesting one, and I don't do this very often, but I'm going to put it up here so that you can uh, see that. Isn't that a blessing to see the Greek word? I mean, just be honest. Aren't you edified by seeing that? No, you're not. But the definition, you will be, okay? Because when it comes to just a little, you know, behind the veil thing here, pastors, when we are studying and preparing, we have all these tools that we lean on, uh, and one of them is a Greek lexicon, which helps us to know and understand the nuances of these different words. And so here I have two lexicon definitions of this word for constant, and the first one is to continue to do something. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. To continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of despite difficulty. Constant. To devote oneself, to keep on, to persist in. Here's another lexicon at the bottom to persist obstinately in. Now there's. Something that some of you are like, finally I get to use my spiritual gift of obstinacy. <laughs> you, are, you are obstinate, which is a negative thing, except when it comes to praying. It is very, very good and healthy to be obstinate in our, in our prayer life. To continue with it. To keep on with it. In this way, we're, we're to be like donkeys when we pray. Okay, what, what are donkeys? Donkeys are probably the most famous animal there is for being obstinate. If you, if you want that donkey uh, to stop, it'll keep going. If you want that donkey uh, to get going, it's staying exactly where it is. They are obstinate. Like they just, they will not move from that spot. You can push, you can carrot, you can do what you want. That donkey is obstinate. It's staying right where it is. And that's the sense of what our prayers should be like in terms of our persistence with it. We are not to be easily moving on. We're not to flit and float about. 
We are to be obstinate, to be persistent, to stick with it, to refuse to move on. And don't we oftentimes feel that in our prayers? When we're praying for something, I'll bet there's, there are prayer requests that have been offered in this room, no doubt, for 30 or 40 years you have been praying for that prodigal child and you have been praying for that issue in your family and you've been praying for your health and healing and, and you come to God and you're like, you feel guilty because you're coming to God with the same thing again. You're obstinate. And that obstinacy drives us crazy. God loves it. When it comes to prayer. When it comes to prayer. Keep with it. Don't easily move on. Don't give up. This isn't the only place we find this concept. Here's a couple others. Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Here's 1 Thessalonians famously. Pray without ceasing. So prayer is what we are to do. The attitude with which we're to do it is persistence. Okay? Persistence. The Puritans famously said it this way, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. What do they mean by that? Well, if you've ever tried to pray, you can relate to this experience. Because once you start to pray, within a millisecond of starting to pray, your mind is flooded with a thousand other things that you can think about. And things that you got to do. And things that right now I should, you know, stop this and go take care of this issue in the house. Like you start to pray and, and I believe this to be the flesh, that enemy within us, floods us with lots of distractions. And so therefore the Puritans would say, pray until you pray. In other words, continue to pray until those things are moved into the background of your mind. And in the foreground of your mind is the prayer that you're talking with God, the thing that you're praying about, whatever it might be, continue to pray. And once you get to those things in the background and the concern or the scripture or the praise or the confession or the whatever is in the foreground, now you're praying. So keep praying until you pray. What does that look like? It looks like persistence. I have learned about persistent requests by being the dad of two daughters. Because when it comes to persistence, my, my girls are amazing at persistence. So they'll say to me, Dad, can I have a donut? No, you may not have a donut. 60 seconds later, Dad, can I have a donut? No, you may not ever for the rest of your life have a donut. <laughs> 60 seconds later, Dad, I really want a donut. Like these kids are relentless, are they not? When they have something that they want, they just keep coming again and again and again. There's wear you down with that constant request again and again. It drives us crazy, but it doesn't drive God crazy. In fact, Jesus told a whole parable about a widow constantly coming to the judge asking for justice as a guide. And his bottom line is, so keep on praying. 
Again, we feel guilty coming to God again for this same thing. But God views it as a faithful, obstinate prayer. He delights in it. So why would God delight in constancy in prayer? Here's why, friends. Listen. Because constant in prayer means and shows that we are constantly dependent on him. And this really is the bottom line when it comes to prayer, is that there is a relationship between my prayer life and how much I realize that I actually need God. So I can tell you this right now, if you have not prayed for a very long time in your life, it's probably because you have been living without a sense of how much you actually need God in your life. What happens when there's an emergency? All of a sudden, somebody has a problem in their life, all of a sudden they're at prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Is that just a coincidence? Or are they now realizing, I need God's help, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to help me? What happens if the coronavirus hits the United States? Many things. But one thing is, there's going to be a whole lot more praying in the United States. It's just, when 9-11 happened, churches filled up. Why? Because all of a sudden, there was a sense of the need for God. And when we sense that we need God in our life, here comes the prayer life. We go from the two to the six, and now we're crying out to God, God, won't you help me? In some ways, we could even argue that prayer week is not really prayer week. Prayer week is depend on God week. The prayers come naturally when you depend on God, and you realize how much we need him. Oh, I need you. How I need you. Every hour I need you, as the song says. And God is glorified in our dependence, and he is honored by the prayers that express that. So pray like a donkey. I was thinking that, you know, like a church prayer gathering should sound like a herd of donkeys. You know, here we are. We're just praying God, obstinately praying. We're seeking you. We want you. We need you. We love you. Like a donkey. Pray like a donkey. Be constant in prayer. Let's talk about in. You know, you bring up prayer, and there's a lot of people that they're happy to talk about prayer. They'll talk about their prayer life. They'll talk about prayer requests. They might even brag about their prayers. But there's a whole lot more talking about prayer than there are people actually in prayer. An observation after many years in ministry is, about many prayer gatherings, is that there is uh, there is way more sharing of prayer requests than there is praying about prayer requests. You get people together for a prayer meeting and they'll go 50 minutes sharing this need and that request and don't forget to pray about that. And then somebody looks at their watch and like, oh, hey, well, we better pray. And so for 10 minutes we pray and then we're done. Was that a prayer gathering? It was for 10 minutes. Be careful not to talk about prayer Make sure that we're actually in prayer, that we're actually praying. Now, be constant in prayer doesn't mean that we're praying 24-7, although we are doing that as a church this week. 
Because, let's be honest, when you're living life, you you have to give the foreground of your mind to your job and to driving the car and fixing the meal and the the, the, the academic classwork and the whatever it is. Your your mind has got to be engaged in those things. So what does it mean to be constant in prayer? It means that as I'm doing the things of my day, as I'm going through the course of my day, My heart in the background is in a state of God awareness that throughout the day is slipping in and out of actually communicating with God. Little prayers sometimes, longer prayers other times. A little prayer, God help me with this appointment. God help me with this doctor's appointment. God give me strength right now, it's three o'clock, I feel sort of weak right now. Can you please help me? God, I love you. Sometimes longer conversations. But that's how you pray without ceasing. Okay? Now I was trying to think of how can I illustrate what this looks like? And the best one I can come up with is the present day reality of smartphone addiction. Can some of you relate to this? Okay. How many of you have successfully gone through this service without checking your phone? A few self righteous hands went up. Okay. <laughs> And that flip phone is awesome. It really is. (laughs) But if you have a smartphone, then you probably can relate to the fact that they make these things to be addictive, and indeed, they often are. To, to, To have a smartphone often is that you're doing your day, but in your back of your mind, you're wondering, did somebody communicate something to me? Maybe there's an email, there's a text, a news alert. I need to check my phone, I need to check in with my phone just to make sure, right? So you're doing your day, but in the back of your mind, there's this possibility of communication that sort of weighs on you. And this has led to like crazy kind of addictive expressions. Like I I have a niece whose dad like was noticing that that she was just sending so many texts, he checked with the, the phone company, she was sending 15,000 texts a month. Okay, do the math on how many that is. Like, she's doing it so much, you almost would say she's constantly on her phone. And don't we say that about people, sometimes as a complaint. They're constantly on their phone. They're constantly distracted by their phone. They're thinking about their phone all the time. That is an unhealthy relationship with your phone but it's an illustration of a healthy relationship with God. Where through my day, yes, I'm driving the car and I'm making the meal and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm listening in, in class and I'm doing the things that life requires, but there is in the back of my mind a God awareness and the opportunity that I have at any time to communicate with my Heavenly Father. And sometimes that's like a text where I just, it's just a brief little thing to God. Sometimes it's like a call where I'm having a longer conversation with God. But in my heart throughout the day, an awareness that I need to check in, to be constant in prayer, and to realize that when I do that, God is providing the resources for me to be patient in tribulation, for me to be uh, rejoicing in hope. And that what I really need in the day is I need him. I need him. 
So this week of prayer, Bethel Church, let's crank up our awareness of God. Let's crank up our dependence on God. And let's have a week of prayer that carries us through the other 51, where we're going from two to five, or we're going from from four to seven in the vitality of our prayer life. And we can know that this is God's will for us. Be constant in prayer.